Would you join me in welcoming Dr. Dennis Burke as he preaches, as he ministers the word to us? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, sir. Hello. Praise the Lord. Woo. Thanks for that welcome. Oh, I'm glad I am back here. I'm glad you showed up tonight, you Friday night Christian you. Glory to God. Well, go ahead and be seated, but uh, it's so, so good. I always look forward. You know I do. I look forward to coming here, and I've been coming a long time. And uh, let's see, first time I came uh, this direction anyway was 1980, which was before a lot of things. But uh, you don't care about that. The point is, uh, man, I believe God's got some plans for this weekend that's going to do you some good. You know, we, we come, you come, I come on a time like this, man. We've come to seek Jesus. We want to hear his word. We want to have his presence wash through us. We want something fresh to go off on the inside. We, we want to feel good about feeling good. And, and, uh, and we want to have God do something fresh in our own life. Isn't that true for you? That's why we show up. It's not just church as usual. It is, it is genuinely we want the presence of God. And that's one of the things about the environment that always uh, permeates this church. Anytime I've come, there's been that kind of, of hunger, interest, thirst, however you want to position it, that there are people that are seeking. And God does something in people that are seeking him. He shows up. He cares about what's going on in us. He doesn't hammer us for the things that have gone wrong. But he does correct those things, you know, but he lifts us. That's the thing. He lifts us into better things and helps us see through the things that have been going wrong. That's what we're after. We want eyes to see. We want ears that hear. We want on our, in our inner man to take hold of the things of God. And that's what I'm expecting in, in these services, each one of them. Tonight, tomorrow night, and Sunday morning. Glory to God, I'm expecting. How many of you got your expectation on? So here's what we all know. We know that it just takes a single word from God to actually change things for us. We know that the biggest things God does in a person's life happen on the inside where nobody sees it. We know that God does the supernatural today. Spirit, soul, and body, he's doing things that's changing people, whether that's physical or spiritual or emotional or whatever's going on. We know that God's reaching into our life to do something, and that's the expectation. And in the course of all of this, God helps us understand things from his point of view in a better way. That's really what what uh, the Proverbs really give us a lot of insight into, that the wisdom of God and understanding things from God's point of view is what turns everything around. Wisdom, he said, is the principal thing. He said, if you're seeking something, seek wisdom and understanding so that we have some clarity. I mean, that's really what understanding brings, isn't it? Brings us some clarity. Clarity about the times that we're in. Clarity about the, the deal that's going on for us right now, whatever it is. Clarity about our own feelings, our emotions, or our, our challenges. Some clarity about the path that we can take. 
that'll take us into things better than what we're in right this minute. Amen. Anyway, glory to God. All that to say, you know, I'm really glad I'm back. Praise God. (laughs) Did I say that already? All right. I just want you to be clear on that. Amen. I want to read just a couple of statements to you that the Spirit of God sparked inside of me regarding this weekend and what we're doing. But not only these meetings, but really regarding things that are happening, I believe, in the body of Christ right now. It's not only local, it's national. It's not only national, I believe it's international. I believe all over this planet that God is doing something inside of His own house, His own people, you and me, but globally. You know, we really are a global family. I mean, I'm not into all that. We are the world, you know, and, you know, we can hum kumbaya together. But there is something big about what God has always had on his mind to do inside and through his own house or his own family. And so here's what sparked up inside of me about right now, that this really is a major time of transition and a major time for restoration. Those two words are gigantic for me right now. Transition. You know what that is. I mean, it's moving from one place to another. It is transitioning from one kind of relationship to another. It is about progress from God's point of view. It's about moving into a greater place, greater mindset, a healthier point of view, a stronger sense of purpose or meaning in your own life, a stronger knowing of how to, how to see God do what He's always wanted to do in your life. Transition is moving us out of, you know, limits that we've placed on ourselves and moving us into a lot of the things God's had on His mind all along. You see, I think we all know this. I know I do. I'll speak for myself, but I'll go ahead and speak for you too, just for a moment. I think we all feel like there are things that God has had on His agenda for us that we really haven't tapped yet. Am I the only one here like that? No, I think that speaks for a lot of us. How many, how many of that speaks for you too? I mean, that's, that's really true for you. How many of you, let's just clear this up for the weekend. How many of you won't raise your hand no matter what I ask you all weekend? All weekend, it doesn't matter what I ask. You won't raise your hand, that's fine. You know, and uh, just so we clarify that, and so I don't have any expectations whatsoever. I'm messing with you, but you know me, I'll do that all weekend. So it's a time, our time for transition. Say it out loud transition. Transition. Restoration. Restoration. God's concept of restoration is a little different from ours in this way. Restoration, usually from our point of view, is to bring things back to the condition they were once in. You get an old beat-up house, and what are you going to do? You're going you're to restore this house. You know, you're going to put in some new wood where things are rotted. You're going to paint it fresh. You're going to redo the floors. You're going to drop the ceiling. You're going to add all kinds of money and stuff to it and hope that it goes up in value. And uh, you're going to restore this thing. Or you get an old car. 57 Chevy would probably be the right one. And, uh, <laughs> but there's other options out there. Or 
You get an old Harley, let's talk, let's talk real turkey here. You get an old Harley, and you know, it may have been neglected, maybe left in somebody's barn, and yet you get a, you get a deal, you, you find this old thing, and uh, you're going to restore this motorcycle. And man, you go to work on this, and you get the paint just right, and, and uh, back to great condition. It looks just like it did when it rolled off that showroom floor. That's a restored Harley. Oh, gosh. Let's just ponder that thought. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. All right, you don't share that with me, but that's fine. But you see, from God's point of view, restoration is not to bring us back to some place where we've been and yet lost ground. Now, don't get me wrong. If we have gained ground and then lost it, God does want to bring that back. If we have, you know, been beat up and then beat down and... After getting beat up and then beat down, you just get beat. You just are beat. And if that's what's happened, God wants to, yes, restore the joy of your salvation. He wants to restore the sense of meaning and purpose and victory and hope and all those things. But then, here's God's point of view. It is not only to bring us back to where we've been at some stage in our life. Restoration from God's point of view includes restoring us, all of us, into a place where we personally have never been, but where he's always seen us. <laughs> Glory to God. You see, God believes. He's a believer. He understands what faith does. He knows what he has designed your life to look like, and he already sees you as if you're living in it. Oh, he knows the things that are going on, you know. I mean, we're, we're not silly about that. He knows what's up, and he knows what's down. But he sees us in the light of redemption. He sees us in the light of what Jesus has done. He sees us in the light of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so all of this transition and restoration is taking us from where we are to where he has designed us to be all along. And here's the cool thing about this too, is that the truth of how God sees us already lives big in us in seed form. And so here's what happens. When a truth, something that's kind of bigger than where we're living right now, when that really hits us, it hits us so good. And it feels so right. It's as if we've always known that's the way it is. You ever have that happen? Or something just goes off on the inside of you say, you know, yes, I, I think I've always known this. And yet maybe it's the first time I've ever really seen it. But we know that the truth is what's right. Glory to God. You know, thank God there's a lot happening right now all over the place. But... There, there's, there's quite an interest, and it's an important thing, that the body of Christ and leadership in the body of Christ, leaders all over the world, are really thinking and dealing with things that are relevant to the current 
let me, let me say a, a naughty word, the current culture. All right, that's not really a naughty word. You see, you guys thought I was really going to go over the edge. But uh, <laughs> get your head out of the gutter, man. Come on. Uh, and in an effort sometimes to, uh, I'll get rough here for just a moment, to pander to the current culture. In some cases, there's just been compromise, thinking that that some kind of lighter approach to things would be helpful. But here's what I've come to understand. In, in a time frame, and this isn't a new time frame, but in our time frame when, when people are really looking for truth that's relevant to them, the real truth is that truth is always relevant. The truth of the word. Yeah, we want to package it as best we can so that it's palatable to people. But in the end, it's not even being palatable that helps. It is the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. It is the anointing that is jam-packed inside of the word of God that really changes a person's life. So we're in a time of transition. Everybody say transition, transition. and restoration. restoration. And then let me, let me read this to you also. These are days of open doors, says the Lord. Days of open doors. These are the days for liberty from disease, from stress, and even from lack. These are the days designed to be extraordinary days for advancing and to bring increase into your life. Say it out loud, extraordinary days for advancing, for increase. Extraordinary days. What is extraordinary? It is extraordinary. It is not the commonplace. It's not mediocre. It's not status quo. It's not just more of the same. It is something different. It's something beyond reason. It's something even outside of the limits that we've lived in so far. That's a lot of high talk. But there's something powerful about getting our eyes focused on the right thing. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the weeds of what's going on on a daily basis. Just the, I don't know how, how to say it differently, just the, the weeds of the way it is. You know, we all have them around. There's always things going on, things that are pulling on us and distracting us and trying to grab our attention and refocus our interests and keep us somehow off base from being focused on what God's given us. The Holy Spirit is always at work, and I believe partly what times like tonight and tomorrow night and Sunday will be for you, is to kind of pull us back in alignment to get our focus, maybe in a stronger way on the things the Spirit of God really wants. Amen? 
One of the great examples of this whole thing for me in Scripture, and there's a lot of them. We can pull from lots of things, but one of my real heroes in the Bible, one of the great characters of Scripture is a man named Joshua, where God was bringing Israel as a nation through one of the biggest transitions that has ever happened in the history of God's people. And it was a transition out of that wilderness time that they had lived in and into the place, the land, the territory that God really had designed for them. And it actually already given to them that had been taken from them as a nation. Now you're familiar, I know you're familiar with all the different ins and outs of this story, but there's some things that the Spirit of God is really zeroed in that I believe is right now really important. But just to give you kind of the overview, really of the entire book of Joshua, and you know who he was, he was Moses' assistant, he was there when the seas, the Red Sea split. He came out of Egypt with all the rest of them. He lived through the whole wilderness experience. God had brought, uh, let me back up even to Egypt. Because the, the pictures for you and me are, are so powerful, they're real clear. There was a time all of us were living in what really could be depicted by Egypt. We were in bondage, man. We were in trouble in one way or another. God wanted to bring those people, just like he wants to bring us, out of sin, bondage, all the world system, the way of thinking that the world has created to keep us distant from God. And we came out of Egypt. How many of you came out of your Egypt? Man, that's when you got born again. You got saved. You came out. Glory to God, man. You went through the water. <laughs> we could spend some time on all that. But God wanted his people. Here's what he said. There was three things God really wanted to have happen to those people when they came out of Egypt. He wanted them to discover the power of worship. He brought them out into the wilderness to be worshipers. He wanted that connection with them on a personal and individual basis. That's what he told Moses. He said, I want them to come out and worship. It's not because God was in need, because he wasn't getting enough credit, because he wanted people really bowing down. That was not, that's just not God. God is not needy. All those demon gods, they're needy. All them demon gods, they got to beat people and rob people and get people to sacrifice everything and kill their babies. And I mean, it's weird. And folks all over the world, a lot of places think, all oh, that's really right. But our God, he's not needy. What he's looking for, though, is that connection to give to people. All those other demon gods, they're looking to get something from people to dominate and rule. But our God, he's not looking to dominate and rule. He's looking to connect people to him so he can give them the maximum. That's what God wanted them out of Egypt for. 
to get free from all of that kind of world system and to get them out in a place where they could worship Him. Glory to God. That's what God wants for every single person. Get them out of sin and out of all the separation, distance between them and God so they can, so that they can connect. And one of the greatest parts of that is how we worship Him. Not only in the song service and time like this that we had tonight, which is important. Don't get me wrong. You know, worship time at the beginning of a service is not just to give people time to finally get here. You know, well, you know, they're going to sing for a while. We got a little extra time, you know. That's not the idea. (laughs) Now, I know you're not like that, but, you know, there'll be some here Sunday. They're like that. Uh, But God wanted them to come out and worship. The second thing that he wanted them out in that wilderness for, because he wanted to reveal that he was the God who would provide for them. And boy, he did. He provided for them every single day. It was amazing. It was supernatural. Food that came out of the sky. (laughs) I mean, it just, every day they would wake up and there was an abundance of food on the ground waiting for them. Six days a week. On the seventh day, they ate what they got double of yesterday. And it's a long story as to why that worked out that way, but that's the way it was. They had food supernaturally every day. They had water that came out of rocks. Or if they came to a body of water that was, was not good water, God would turn the bitter water sweet. Amazing things. He wanted them to know that he was a God who would provide for them. And that is huge on God's agenda for every single believer today. God wants to be the God that provides for us. Well, he, he is that God, but he wants us to be connected to him to receive what he provides. He's ready to provide on bigger uh, levels than what we've been allowing to happen. Glory to God. He provided their clothes. You kidding me? Their clothes didn't wear out. Now that's rough on the on the addicted shoppers. That's that's rough. The shoppers have it hard because it's not just having clothes. The shoppers not interested in having clothes. The shoppers interested in buying clothes. <laughs> Come on, don't look around. Just look straight ahead. But God would provide for his people, and he wanted to demonstrate that he would provide for them. He provided a cloud by day to cover them, a pillar of fire by night to light their way and keep them warm. He provided on every level of their life. You know, you start thinking about that and, and get some of the details of what was going on in the wilderness, and really, the wilderness experience for those people, as, as rough as it was, and it was, I'm not making light of that, but goodness gracious, the way they received from God really is on a higher level than a lot of Christians that I've known for a long time. They're not receiving all that well compared to even wilderness living. <laughs> that's, that's sad, and I'm sorry to be so heavy on you right there. 
But there was a third thing that God also wanted them to learn while they were in the wilderness. Now, look, we're working our way to Joshua here, so hang in here. They're still in the wilderness now, having come out of Egypt. God wanted them to learn not only how to worship and not only that God would provide for them, but he wanted them to discover how to follow him and trust that he would lead them. He did lead them. But it's amazing, he led them according to how well they would follow. That's kind of weird in some ways. We think that God just has a path, and that's the path. You're either on it or you're not. You're either going the right way or you're going wrong. Get right or get wrong. And yet he led them. I mean, here's a, a, a path that could have taken, you know, couple of weeks to get from where they came out of in Egypt and crossed that Red Sea over to the land of promise that God had said he was taking them to, the land of milk and honey. It was just a matter of days, really, that they could have made that journey. But it was a 40-year problem, 40 years. Now, look, my wife kind of has an opinion that part of the problem in this taking 40 years instead of 11 days, is that Moses, being a man, of course, just would not ask for directions. I'm not sure I actually agree with that, but it's useful at times for some. Now, they wandered for 40 years. In fact, all of the All of the adults, the men uh, that came out of Egypt that would have been able to go to war or be of of age, they all died in that wilderness. Mm -hmm. They all died. There was a new generation that was born, actually. They knew nothing but God's provision in the wilderness. That's all they knew. And they knew the promise that God had made that there was a land. They'd heard it all their life. Now we come to this man, Joshua. Let me read something to you that God said to Joshua. Now I told you I wanted to give you the big picture of the book of Joshua. All right, so we've gone through Exodus in the wilderness. Man, you've got to keep up now. There's going to be a quiz later. The book of Joshua really has three major components to it, if I could just give it to you that way. One really is what we're going to look at in more detail here in a minute, which is the crossing of the Jordan River. It was the crossing of that river. It was coming out of the wilderness and going across the river into the very land that God said belonged to to Israel. That was such a major event, and we've got to look at it because it has everything to do with transition. It has everything to do with restoration. But there's a second component, really, that is huge in the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at this tomorrow night. And that is the conquering of the city of Jericho. There's a huge significance in how we deal with the walls. 
Everybody's got walls. They come up in a variety of times, places, and ways. There were walls around this city of Jericho. I want to go there tonight. Man, but I can't because we got to get there first. But there are the walls, and how you deal with these walls is really going to, it's really telling the story even now in your own life as to how much progress you're making getting into the places God's really wanted. You follow me in this? The third component, really, of the book of Joshua is how Joshua led Israel to continue to possess the land. Those three things make up the book of Joshua. Those are huge, every one of them. How they crossed Jordan to get into the land, how they dealt with the wall of Jericho and that first city they came to, and how they would then continue to possess it. 31 kings and 31 kingdoms. And all of these are pictures, metaphors, really. Examples. That, and that's what the Bible says the Old Testament is all about, giving you and me as New Testament believers, not the rules to live by, but the examples to discover how God wants to work in our life so that we are crossing and transitioning into the places where we haven't touched yet, but we've believed. And where we're dealing with the walls that are there to stop you. And how you continue on in this for the rest of your life. Glory to God. So let's read something from the Bible. I think we should read from the Bible so that you truly feel you're in church. So let's read beginning uh, in Joshua the first chapter. How, How about that? How many of you brought your Bible? You know, it's not mandatory. It's a good idea because we're going to read from it whether you brought yours or not. (laughs) But something happens good for somebody. I mess around with you, but something happens good. You get familiar with a Bible. You get your Bible. One, you can kind of make little notes in if you want to, underline stuff, circle it, stars, arrows, whatever you do. But, um, and something happens to us when our eyes land on these words. These words are alive, you know. And they're not, it's not like any other book. We're not just reading history. It's historic, but it is life-giving. So the very first chapter of Joshua, why don't we just start in the first verse? What do you think? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. You know, that's interesting. We're going to spend a minute on, more than a minute on that here in a bit. But God clearly defined where he wanted them to land and what he wanted them to have. God has defined the blessing and the place, the boundaries, if I can call it that. Okay, I'm jumping ahead. But he has defined, so we'll come back to it again. You'll hear this again tonight. 
but he will define the, what you could call the boundaries or what the blessing looks like. And when you are in that place, that's where the blessing of God is abundant. All right, we'll hear that again. So he goes on. He said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you, I'll not leave you, and I will not forsake you. So be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now look, we could read on, there's lots of things in this, but this will give us enough to work on tonight. Because he said this, he said, first... The very first thing he said was, arise. Our desire for change, and that we all have it. We don't want things to remain as they've been. We want to, if I can use this word, we'd like to see God work in our life to help us reinvent who we are so that we're not just who we've always been. Oh, there's some things about us. I mean, our... Our characteristics, the kind of food we like to eat, you know, that may stay basically the same. But we want to we redefine who we are and how things are important to us, what we consider valued and valuable, what we expect and what we will receive from God. We don't want to get stuck in the mud and stuck in a rut and stuck in a hole or stuck in anything. We want to... We want to be able to move forward in our life, feel like we're gaining ground. Isn't that true? And we all can. We really can do this. And no matter what has come into our life to to get us stuck, we can take just what God said to Joshua and we can make that alive in ourselves. where God said to arise. God said to him, you're going to have to arise. And God says it to you and to me. You have to rise up. But follow this. He said, arise because it is time for a change. You're not going to stay in the wilderness that you've known all along any longer. You know, this is good news, but it can be frightening. You know, we're familiar with our level of misery, and we've learned how to live in that kind of place, while we don't necessarily like it, we don't recommend it, at least we understand it to a certain degree. Our desire for change must become bigger than our fear of change. You see, it's the fear of so many things, the fear of what it'll look like on the other side. It's that kind of fear that keeps people from really rising up and pushing forward. We, we want to see things changed, but it can be fearful to go in that direction. It takes a lot of challenges. It takes overcoming some things. And in this case, it was going to take, just to in plain terms, it was going to take... Uh, getting past this river that we've never been past before. Now, Joshua actually had. He had been in this promised land years and years before, just for a short time. 
he and a dozen others, or he was one of a dozen, sent in to spy out that land while they were still in that wilderness. You remember that story? He and, he and uh, who was it? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they went into that land, spied it out. Ten other spies, I'm, I guess their names are in the Bible, but we never know who they are. You never remember these guys because they were pathetic. Okay, that's harsh. But some things you just can't soften. I mean, they, it was just Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 that went in that came back with a good report. The other 10, they came back with what the Bible called an evil report. And what was good about Joshua and Caleb's and what was evil about the other 10? Joshua and Caleb said, we can take this land. The other 10 said, we can't possibly take it. There's giants in the land. It's weird how people will think that God was not aware of how challenging this is going to be. And so, no, we can't. When God had given them a promise that they could. Yeah, but we can't. But you don't understand. I think really the truth is, maybe the ten did not understand. So Joshua had been there before, but now it's not just him. It's not just him and Caleb. It's him and a whole nation of people. The entire, the entire body of God's family had to do something. They had to move from where they were. So he said, rise. It's time to go. What is it that kept the other ten all those years before from really seeing things right? Well, fear is going to be the primary thing. One acronym of the word fear, I think, helps us get it and see why it can be so very destructive. It is, fear is false evidence appearing real. Something that's not true, but you believe it is true. It seems true. You know, it was true there were giants in the land. There were some big, bad folks in the land. So that was actually true. But what was false was that they could not conquer those big, bad enemies. That's what was false. What was probably true is they didn't have the battle skills. They were a wandering nation of vagabonds. They had come out of slavery. They didn't know how to go to war as well as maybe other seasoned warriors so what was true is they probably did not know how to fight an enemy like that. What was false is that they would have to do all the fighting. You know, here's how God looks at things when we're going into it. We're going into the battlefield when God has already seen the end result that you have won this battle. So he has already won a battle that you haven't yet committed to fight. <laughs> wow. And we get that going in our head, and faith rises up. And it dispels fear. I mean, the battles, anything, you know, uh, any report can, can be threatening, can strike fear in a person. But the truth is what dispels the fear. 
the truth of what God has said. Anyway. So God gave Joshua some clear instruction. He said, rise, and he gave him a number of things that we've just read. There's something very powerful about knowing that you are hearing. And that what God has said, whether you've heard it through the Word, you've heard it through somebody speaking. You know, I find really, primarily, the vast majority of us, what we hear from God, we hear through somebody. This is why it's important to stay connected. This is why it's important to show up at church, be a part of what's going on, listen to the Word being ministered. That's not the only way God speaks. God can speak right straight to us. He does all the time. But here's what I think we find for the most part. We really grab hold of something first, usually. You got to qualify this because this isn't a hard, fast rule. But we grab hold of something because of what somebody said. We found that to be true in the Word, and it struck us. And we lock on to something that was said. That's why who you listen to is real important. There's a lot of voices. More than ever right now, and we've got more means of hearing them than ever in all of history. So it's important who you're listening to. That they're proven. But I want to read a statement to you about hearing. Something right out of the book of Hebrews, but I want to use the mirror translation. It's It's a paraphrase, really. But it's very powerful in the way it reads in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Now, the King James Bible is talking about the Son, of course, Jesus, and how he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Some of you remember that verse? I've never liked that verse. I, you know, is that all right to say that? You know, I can't say that on Sunday, but, you know, it's Friday. <laughs> I don't know, I've never, really, I've never really liked that verse. He learned obedience. Okay, that's good. Through the things he suffered. Oh. Because the implication, of course, is that's how it's going to work for me too. And that's the part I really don't like. Is it all right to be honest here in church? I'm not sure. You guys look so holy right now. I feel alone. He learned obedience. And, of course, it's, it's not talking about the suffering on the cross. He didn't learn obedience as he was dying on the cross. He learned obedience long before that. But it says through the things which he suffered. Listen to how this particular translation deals with that. Verse 8, it says, As son, he was in the habit of hearing from above. That's how this guy worked out the word obedience. And even described why when I was studying uh, through this. He said this word obedience really has within its, its Greek origin the idea of hearkening to something you've heard. You know, following directions of something you've heard. Well, that makes sense. That's obedience. But he said it this way. I'll read it again. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the habit of hearing from above. And we know that's true. The, he said of himself, the son does nothing but that he, what he hears his father say. 
He was in the habit of hearing from above. Now listen to this next part. What he heard distanced him from the effects of what he had suffered. Ooh, that's strong. What he heard put a distance between him and what had come to bring suffering and misery. You see, when the pressure came on him, let's think about one of those times right at the beginning of his ministry, for example. When he first went out, Luke chapter 4, and he begins to talk after having read the scriptures in the synagogue and then announced to them that this word that he had just read, and it was a prophetic word regarding the Messiah who would come, that he read. And then he announced to this synagogue that what I've read is fulfilled today in your hearing right now. And he began to talk to them and unfold some things of God to them. And they got so mad, they ran him out. I've made people mad by preaching, I know that. But they've never tried to push me off a cliff. That's what they tried to do with him. They were, they were going to push him off the cliff and kill him right there. You know, religion is mean. Religion is mean. And you get religious things in your head and you turn mean. And these people were mean religious people. Now you guys suddenly look so very warm and loving. But, and I'm glad because I, I don't want to be drug out to the cliff tonight. But what did Jesus do when they took him to the edge of the cliff? This is, this is amazing. Because these people had murder, religious hatred, murder going on in them. And they had taken him out to push him off the cliff. His first sermon. <laughs> Could drive some insecurity into some people, but not Jesus, of course. What did he do? He turned and he just walked right through the middle of them. It was over. What Jesus heard distanced him from the effect of all that hatred. And it, it literally delivered him. What he heard. What Joshua heard. Things that you will hear. Things that God will say to you. He'll say them to me. He'll say them to Pastor Jonathan. He'll say them to... Any of us that will listen, the things that we get in the habit of hearing can do the same thing. Deliver us, distance us from the effects of what has come to bring suffering or misery into her life. Glory to God. All right, the next verse, verse 9, he goes on and he says, By his perfect hearing, he forever freed mankind. To hear what he heard. Every one of us can hear just like he heard. And we can hear what he heard. The voice of our Father. And it'll do the same thing for us. Distance us from the effects of what has come to bring suffering. Oh, we want to be hearers. And you, you are. You can be. It's not... It's not as hard as it sounds. We felt like we don't qualify because of whatever reasons we've come up with. But the real truth is, 
Jesus has freed mankind, which includes you, to hear what he heard. So if we're not hearing, it's probably not that we're not hearing. It's that we are not listening. You know, there's a difference. Because <laughs> people hear things that they don't listen to. If you've had a teenager, you understand exactly the point I'm making. <laughs> Gosh, you see. Uh, right. We'll just pass on by that. <laughs> okay. I've, had, I've got so many things just ran through my head. Uh, none of which I'm going to share with you right this moment. Joshua heard something. It sparked something, of course, on the inside of him. Rise up, and he began to get clarity. God said, I'll be with you. Every, everywhere you guys put your feet, I give to you. And God gave him the kinds of instruction that gave him the clarity of what he was doing. He was transitioning out of a wilderness that they did not want to possess, but that they had lived in and tolerated, and they were now transitioning into a place of having restored to them what had been given to their father Abraham generations before. Child of God, there are things God has given to you, got things he's given to me, we have not been living in. In so many ways, you could take that picture and say, you know, it's like we've actually been in a wilderness ourselves. I mean, God's doing things in our life. We do have certain results. We're not in Egypt anymore. But are we really living inside of these things that are so dramatically God delivering and helping us possess territories and lands and victories and conquerings? Is that really who we are today? Well, if it's not, child of God, before this weekend is over, I believe the Spirit of God is going to jam that on the inside of every one of us. Because that's who we really are. We are designed to conquer enemies. No, no, no. I'm not talking about people, your neighbors, your kids. Your I'm not talking about those enemies. Uh, well, there's all kinds of things that have been robbing from our lives, and we're just not going to take it anymore. We're not going to let fear dominate our life. We're not going to let intimidation or some sort of lack in our own life continue to dictate to us who we are and what we're able to do. So that's when he then, after, after Joshua began to hear, then God did give the borders. And I want to take a, a little bit longer on that idea. He defined what this land would be like. And now, actually, later on, after they were possessing the land, there's chapter after chapter in the later parts of the book of Joshua. I mean, if you need some reading to go to sleep by, there are chapters in Joshua that describe the land that each tribe is going to share. This is among the most boring reading that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Is it okay to be a man of God and say that? Is that okay? It's too late. Because it's just it's as dry as it gets. But if you need sleep, God's Word will provide. 
Well, what was going on with all of this defining of land and territories and, and uh, what God's doing is drawing the borders, a very clear picture for each of us. That's what he's doing for them. This is what he was doing for Israel as a nation. This is where I want you to focus your world. This is where I want to bless you. Now look, the blessing of God is on our life. But I think we all know that walking it out the way God's designed it amplifies that blessing. Things grow in us when you're on the target or on the track or in the place God has you. And things can get quite dry when you're off in another direction or in a wrong frame of mind or in the wrong place in your life. How many of you ever been in a dry place? Had some dry times. This is like two hands for me. It doesn't mean God won't heal you in those dry times. It doesn't mean God won't bless and do things in your life in those dry times. Oftentimes, those dry times is just because our head is in the wrong place. And yet, God still is there to help, to lift, to encourage, if we'll listen and if we'll take it. So God hadn't forsaken us. He hadn't distanced himself from us, but we may have distanced ourselves from him. And while those times can be dry, that doesn't mean that God quits on us. But he defined the borders. And you could call these the borders of the blessing. You read through scripture, you find certain things that God has said belong to you. That's within your borders. Healing belongs to you. That is within your borders. If I can just use that picture to help you see it. God's provision for your house, for you, in, in your job or in your business, that's within your borders. God restoring your marriage or your relationships, your kids, that's within your borders. And so we have, we have that right to expect the hand of God to move because this is listed. This is described. This is part of my territory between the, the great sea and the river Euphrates and the whatever else it is, man. This is my land. And we can't tolerate anybody ripping us off. Oh, yeah, there's been Canaanites in the land, Canaanites, Jebusites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites and various ites, they're all there. But we're not letting these ites take any of my land. So we're driving them out. All right. So you still here? God tells Joshua in this, verse 6, 7, 8, long in there, he said, Be strong and be courageous. These are huge qualities that every believer has the capacity for. Courageous. Courage is one of those things that's a little bit, we, we know it when we see it. But it's a little bit hard to wrap uh, words around sometimes. What does courage look like or what, how does it sound? We can, we can see it when somebody has acted courageously. We thank God for the, for the firefighters that 
When everybody's running out of a building, they're the ones running in. That's not weird, man. That's courage and training. God told Joshua, be courageous. One dictionary I found described courage this way. Boy, this really, this really helped me. I've used it ever since I found this, a long, long time ago. But courage was to be buoyant in spirit. Don't you like that? Buoyant in spirit. Something that's buoyant, you can pull it down under the water. But the moment you let go, right to the top it goes. You cannot keep it underwater. It doesn't sink, it's buoyant. And it can float for a long, long time. It is not going to sink. Why? Because it is just buoyant. Now, somebody grabs your leg and drags you under. It's when you start kicking. (laughs) Get off of me. (laughs) Let go of my leg. I am not staying under here. So, yeah, maybe some kicking needs to go on for courage to kick in. But what happens? Right back to the top you go. No, 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 I'm not staying under. Something gets on you. You've probably had it happen. I've had it happen plenty of times. Something gets on you. I mean, we like to say it because that helps us blame something else, which is blame is important. It's important to know where blame belongs. And it can't possibly belong on me, so something got on me. <laughs> you look so innocent right now. But something gets on you, and it's doing its best to keep you under. Oh, you know it when it's happening. You're having a, you're having a down day. Or you are, how many of you are familiar with the mully grubs? Anybody familiar? You ever heard of the mully grubs? How many of you ever heard of the mully grubs? How many of you have never heard what I, you don't know what the... I'm, Well, that's fine, because if you haven't heard of it, you don't want it. You're just down. It's not good. Things are going wrong. Things don't feel right, man. I'm I'm just, you know, hey, you know, come back tomorrow. I don't even want to see you. So you can call that whatever you want, but that's something trying to pull you under. The way you see things, the way people handle you, the events that go on in life, the piling on of a variety of history, personal history that, you know, is collectively now just come back blowing through your mind and dragging you under the water. How many things have gone wrong? How many things have been said? How bad it's been? How hard I've had it? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I can't believe how much I've suffered. Oh, it's been hard. Dennis, it's hard. It's been bad. It's been so bad. I barely made it. There have been so many times I've wanted to quit. Oh, my, my, my. Oh, shut thy mouth. I'm not trying to sound insensitive, though I am. I, 
I'm not trying to. No, it's not to say those things haven't been real and they haven't happened. What it is to say, though, is we have no reason today to give right to those things. To steal another moment of our peace and of our life. Joshua could have looked at a variety of things, no doubt, and it had been hard out in the wilderness. It was no picnic. God said, rise up, it's time to go, and they were going to go. He said, be strong and of good courage. He said, I've given you this land, like I said to Moses. You've got to choose what you're going to look at at a time like that. Are you going to look at the people that you have to lead right now? Oh, my gosh, I've been dragging these people along for a long time. No, you're not going to do that. You get your eye filled with what that word has just said. You get your soul filled with the power of what has just been declared. This is my land. This is where I go. This is what belongs to me. And whatever is standing between me and that land, it's going to have to get out of my path. And there was a physical river, the Jordan River, that was the border between the land where they belonged and the place where they stood at the the point Joshua heard this from the Lord. So it didn't look reasonable. There's going to be a lot of times you're going to hear God say some things to you to, to shift or to change or to do or to not do. That may seem quite unreasonable to you. You know, sometimes it seems unreasonable that I need to keep my mouth shut. I don't think that's right. It just seems, no, no. I need to say some things here. I got to clear the air here. (laughs) How many of you have thought that if you just said one more thing, it was all going to be better? How many of you ever saw? Oh, yeah. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. You've been there. If I just say it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it one more time. What is it about having said something a thousand times, as we tend to remind people that we have, but I'm going to say it again as if this time it's going to make any difference? It's because this is the way it is. That's why it needs to be said. Well, (laughs) it may seem unreasonable, but there is, as the Bible says, a time to speak and a time to be quiet. You know, that would never get an amen. I don't think I've ever gotten an amen (laughs) by bringing that up. and, And that's another way to say it. Zip it. Shut thy mouth. Close your trap. Lock it down. This could bring a lot of peace, actually. It would be amazing what, what might happen. Anyway, glad you're excited about that. Joshua would 
follow God's instruction with clarity and with diligence. God gave him some very clear details as to what would happen next, how they were to do this. They would prepare themselves. They would gather their things. There was things everybody had to believe. Because Joshua announced in three days, we will be in the land that we've believed in our entire lifetime. It's no longer time to only believe something. It's time to take a step and move in a direction. Oftentimes, we have to take a step in the direction of this transition. We have to do it by faith. They were going to have to take a step. He didn't say jump. He said step. God's not telling us to jump as often as he tells us to just take a step. But that's what has to happen. Now, look, I, I realize I'm not being clear about your individual situation. You're going to have to translate this into what that step might look like for you. It might be in the way you have been giving. It might be the fact that you've never made the step to give tithes to God and offerings. You, you just maybe give some as you feel you should, but you've never made that step to become a tither. It's been a barrier for you. Maybe that's the step. <laughs> There's what I've called the tithe barrier. And barriers have to be broken. They just, you just cannot play with them. I think one of the great examples of this is, of course, the example, and there's, there's many of them, but I, I always default back to the one where Chuck Yeager would finally, and for the first time, break through the sound barrier. This happened many years ago. I think it was 54, 1954, if I'm right. But then it's not if I'm wrong. <laughs> but let's just say it was 1954, and it was in the month of October, and they were and had been testing and doing some tests regarding trying to break through that barrier. Oh, they knew it was there. Well, they would come right up to it. They could fly right up to the speed of sound. And depending on the temperature and the altitude and the conditions of the day, somewhere between 630 miles an hour and 700 miles an hour, whatever the kilometers are, you guys got to work it out. But that's moving on. So depending on conditions and the altitude and all this sort of thing, temperatures, Somewhere in that range, speed of sound, mock. Nobody had ever passed through the sound barrier. They'd come right up to it, and that barrier, as they would get to it, their, their aircraft would begin to vibrate, and it would get violent inside. And literally, the thought was that if they were to penetrate that barrier, that thing would disintegrate, and they would be killed. But they had designed that little X-1 jet. It was really a rocket. It had little tiny, little tiny wings, little pathetic wheels. In fact, they strapped it to the bottom of a big jet and then carried it up to 39,000 feet and cut it loose. 
Chuck Yeager strapped inside. You see, Chuck Yeager was a different breed of person. This is not your ordinary guy. He sort of lived his life apparently like his hair was on fire, which is why most of the pictures, I guess, show him with no hair. They strap him into the X-1, drag him up to 39,000 feet, cut, the, cut that X-1 loose. He fires the, the engine, and he begins to take that up to the speed of sound. He got right up to that barrier. And just like every other vehicle, every other time that it had happened, his little X1, it began to vibrate. It began to creak and rock and violently shake. And dials began to break. Glass began to crack. This is where everybody else had pulled back. But this is Chuck Yeager. He doesn't pull back. He presses just a little more juice on it. We're not stopping now. For the first time in human history, a human being had passed through the sound barrier. And there was that sonic boom. It's what happened when... uh, We won't go into it. it. The sonic boom... And because he was so high and he'd been flying at a distance at high speed, where he had, the people that were trying to observe this, they had lost him. They couldn't see him. They thought he had exploded. That just as they had feared, he had gone through that barrier and he had exploded. But that's not what happened. He went through that sound barrier and he described what it was like on the other side. It was very peaceful. It was very smooth. There was no turbulence whatsoever. It was very quiet because all the noise he's making can't catch up to him. That's exactly the truth. And it was real fast. going through that barrier. This is, this is what happens to the tither or the potential tither. The person, maybe somebody right here in this room, you reach and maybe before have come up to that barrier where you know because pastor has mentioned it and you've seen and heard about, you know, the Bible talks about giving tithes, one-tenth of your income. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? This is crazy. It's a lot of money. I work hard for my money, Dennis. Uh, I can't get it. You know, what am I going to do? I don't think it'll work. I can't make it happen. As if God is unaware of our condition. But he still talks about it. And people get right up to that barrier of giving in that way. Now, okay, relax. We're not about to take another offering. I mean, it's all right. You're safe. But people get right up to that barrier and they begin to vibrate themselves. They're right there by that barrier and it's, they shake. Things begin to crack. And up till now, they back off. No, not today. No, no, I'm not doing that. But then something happens. Somebody lights the fire. And they get to another service. They're in church. Pastors receiving the offering, talking about the tithe. 
And here they come. They're back up. You can see them. They're up at that barrier again. They're vibrating. <laughs> but they decide this time, man, I'm not backing up. I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm going through. And sometimes even if, if they're the kind that write a check to give their offering, I know there's less of that these days, but uh, there's been times you could, you could actually see it on the check. They, they could barely write. It was, it was all over the place because they, they were vibrating. This is, this is dangerous ground. We've never been here before and never broke through that. Are you kidding me? And then wham, bam, they go through and it's, it's a noise. It goes off. But they find on the other side of that barrier... You know, it's a lot of peace. It's a lot of calm. And things begin to move so much faster in their life when it comes to the things of God. It's amazing. These barriers in our life, Joshua came up to it. All of Israel came up to it. In this case, it was the Jordan River. Their line, the barrier they had never crossed before, but God had given them instruction how to deal with it, just like he gives us. He told them some specifics. He says, you know, take the ark, carried the word, you know, carried all that, and take that and get the priest to go step into, just step, just step into the water. They'd never do this. They'd, they never would have done this. But they had this instruction from the Lord. Step, just get them to step into the water. And there's some things I believe the Holy Spirit's going to start making clear to you. What kind of step that'll be for you. Something you'll just be able to make a decision about. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my my temper govern my life and stir up trouble in my house anymore. I'm done with this. I'm not going to let fear regarding my finances or regarding my marriage or regarding my children or regarding whatever else it is. I'm not going to let fear dictate things to me and keep me from it. No, I'm, I'm taking hold of this. I'm stepping out. And I'm making a quality decision today Something's going to be different for me. And you put some, not just something, you, just, you define it. This is what will be different for me today. And you take that step. They stepped into the Jordan River and something just crazy happened. It was beyond reason. It was dramatic. Because the River Jordan, bam, it dried up. And the flow of water stopped. Say, well, you know, maybe a log fell upstream, you know. Maybe a, maybe the beavers got really, they finally put that last thing in place and just stopped everything. How would that really change the story anyway? It happened when they took the step. Man, them beavers knew ahead of time. Who cares? 
It's like you've heard the old theologians, you know, they had tried to describe how, how Israel crossing out over the Red Sea, how really, you know, it's not like uh, they, they, they cross over a, what they've now found to be a land bridge that's uh, under the water slightly, you know, and these theologians say, you know, uh, I mean, they, they really, they went across in ankle deep water. They were, it was just ankle deeps, but they were, so they were able to cross because of the, and, and of course, <laughs> the miracle is even bigger if that were true, <laughs> which it's not. But if, if that were the case, the miracle would be just so amazing because Pharaoh and all of his armies drown in an ankle deep body of water. <laughs> wow. That's powerful. You know, what well, God held him down, you know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the Jordan River dried up. They walked across on dry ground. That's right. All, the whole nation of them, four million of them. They walked across the Jordan River into that land. Boy, some things were amazing when they got in that land. I believe the Holy Spirit's calling us into a time of change. This was major change for Israel. All right, let me try to come in for a landing, but I've got just a little ways to go. Can you take just a little more? Everybody all right? It's Friday night, man. You'd just be getting out right now, you know, in the old days. You know. Hey, man, how you doing? So, change. All right, maybe you wouldn't have been just like that, you know. That's so carnal. It's terrible. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about change. And about what this kind of, what change can do and what it does as we're embracing change in our own life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me drop down. I won't read all of this, but it wouldn't hurt you if I did. I'm going to use the new uh, century version. Verse, uh, uh, we'll jump in in verse 16. But when a person changes... And follows the Lord. Okay, we're jumping in. All right, let me back up. I want to give you the whole thing. Are you okay? All right, here we go. All right, let me jump in in verse 12. We have this hope. So we're very bold. We're not like Moses, who put a cover over his face so the Israelites could not see it. The glory was disappearing. And this, all right, this is in the time frame of when. Moses came off of the mountain getting those commandments. And the Bible says he was glowing. I mean, he was like lit up because he'd been in the presence of God and he was so bright they couldn't even look at him without hurting their eyes. So he literally put a veil over his face so he could talk to the people of Israel. That's the context of what Paul's talking about here. But he left that veil on because, well, let me read it. It goes on, it says, the glory was disappearing And Moses did not want them to see it end. But their minds were closed, and even today, Paul says, that same covering hides the meaning when they read the Old Testament. That covering is taken away only through Christ. Even today, when they read the law of Moses, there is a covering over their minds. 
But when a person changes and follows the Lord, this is verse 16, that covering is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. Glory to God. Verse 18 says, our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory. Ooh, man, there's a big message in this. That's the design God's really taking us to. Where His greatness, His glory, His goodness, His blessing, His love is actually seen on us. That's where we're all, that's where we all participate. That's part of the plan. So that our life really reflects what he calls here the glory, the presence of God, the good things that God's doing. Our life, our look, our manner, our attitude, our voice, our confidence, our, our peacefulness, our, our love, the life that God has given us, we are reflecting that we've taken the step into the river, that we have embraced change, and we're still embracing it. So he says, our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory and we are being changed. Not just that we have, we are still being changed to be like him. This change in us, still in verse 18, brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What change is all about? Any change that we are willing to embrace from God. A change in our perspective, in our attitude, in our habits, in our life. Any change that will allow the Spirit of God to zero in something in our life and, and instead of fighting it, we'll say, I'm going for it. I'm going to step in. I'm going to, I'm going to make this. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk in the Word. I'm going to, I'm going to give the way God says. I'm going to talk the way God wants. I'm going, to, I'm going to be the man, the woman that really reflects that Jesus is Lord. It reveals the glory. That's how, what he describes here. It literally reveals God. This is what Israel was in the earth to do. But this is even more so what you and me are in the earth to do. To show the greatness of God. And that's where this rising up making choices, walking through these rivers and all these pictures that God gives us. That's really where this takes us, where we are showing the goodness and the glory of God. You got to taste it first. You got to embrace it first. You got to let this change you so that it starts to show change through you. That's what the Word is. Tonight is designed to. This is what transition and restoration does. It moves us from where we've been. And we're agreeing to, to go. Yeah. I'm crossing this. Whatever this current river might be. Whatever my current border that has kept me out. Maybe it has been your temper. Or maybe it's just been... Financial straits has just been pressuring you for so long or whatever is going on. Maybe it is your, your marriage or your, your past that you're still dragging with you. 
that still forms your present. Whatever this river is that has been the border keeping you out of promise. Tonight, I'm going to join with you. And I believe the Holy Spirit has come to join with us so that that river dries up. And we're walking. We're stepping in tonight. Does this make sense to you tonight? I want you to stand with me. Because I want, I want this to just be captured on the inside of you. And really... It's the Holy Spirit that has to paint these pictures for us. And then it's the Holy Spirit who will give you the details as to what this really means right this minute for you. There's all, all kinds of possibilities. But all of us are facing transition and restoration. And the promise that that's exactly what God has brought us into this place tonight for. So I want you just to open yourself up for this moment in the Spirit of God. Because we stand in the presence of God. He really has honored us tonight to be here with us and, and join into our situation to heal, to deliver, to restore. To empower you to come out of whatever wilderness limits you've lived in right now. Say it out loud. Lord, I'm coming out. I'm yielding to you. And in the name of Jesus, I rise up in faith to step in. And see this thing divided before me. I'm stepping in. So I can pass through. In the name of Jesus. I'm passing through to the other side. I'm not going to stay on this side. I'm not going to stay in the limits of my past. The limits of a failed relationship. The limits of fear. Or anger. or anger. I'm not living that way. Not living that way. I, refuse lack, I refuse lack. But today, but today I, embrace I embrace abundance. I embrace my freedom. Embrace my freedom. So I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in the name of Jesus. Name. I'm stepping in. Stepping. By, faith, by faith. To a new place. A new it's my day for transition. My, day for transition. my time for restoration. My time for restoration. And I declare it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> so be restored. Be healed. Be delivered. Be empowered. In the name of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit wash through you right this instant. Oh, there he is. He's, draw, he's drawn close to us. Right in this building to empower you. Energize you. Bring that wisdom and understanding, the clarity. Because faith has been born inside of you. Oh God, let it be so tonight in Jesus' name. The healing flow into that house, into that family, into that body. Be healed in your body. 
in Jesus' name. Glory to God in Jesus' name. I want you to receive this as if I, I, I laid my hands right on your head, every single one of you. Receive it this moment because that's what the presence of God has come to do. You know, how big is a miracle? Can two people receive simultaneously? Could five? Could 50? Could 100? Sure. That's how big this anointing of God is. So you receive right where you stand in the name of Jesus. In your heart, in your head, your spiritual life, your family life, you're stepping in. Lord, I'm stepping in for things to be brand new in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? How many of you receive that tonight? Glory to God. We're going into a new place. It's time for this. And it's always been time for this. I know that's not a new thought, but it's a brand new time. Glory to God. We're taking it. I'm taking it. Man, I've heard it. When you hear the call, man, you hear it by the Spirit of God. I believe many of you are hearing it tonight. Then there's no, while there is a choice, but there's no choice. I mean, you know, I mean, you can make the choice, you can choose, but there's no choice. This is what we're going to do. Because this is what we know is, is exactly what God wants. Amen? How many of you glad you came tonight? Come on, shout a praise to God, would you? Glory to God.